You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. All right, so last week we began our first series of the new year of 2022, and it is an ambitious one. It is a challenging study of the Beatitudes, Jesus' teaching from Matthew 5. And so every week I want us to read them again uh, because there's, there's great um, benefit in just the repetition and the focus that um, revisiting these passages will bring to us each week. So let's begin with verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so last week, we tried to set the stage for you for this incredible message, this most famous message of Jesus during his earthly ministry. And we tried to give you some context for the setting that he chose and the people that he was talking to. And so we understand that the people that he invited up to the mountain that day in Matthew 5 for this time of instruction was a crowd that had been gathering for some time. Matthew lets us know leading up to this passage that Jesus had been traveling from town to town, that he had been healing people that had any and every disease, and that he had been casting out demons, and it had consequently drawn a crowd. And so here we made this very important observation that Jesus was not just looking for a fan club. He wasn't just building his fan base in that part of the world, but that his intention for them, and I believe for us, was for them to be instructed on how to live a better life, on how to please him. It was his desire to share more than just his miraculous power, but he wanted to help them in their everyday lives through this powerful teaching. And so we also pointed out that Jesus chose to give this profoundly convicting message on top of a mountain. And we believe there's very powerful symbolism in this idea that Jesus said, what happened down here in these towns is great, but we're going to go up higher. We're going to reach for more in this moment because I have more for you. And so here we understand that we are meant to continue to grow in our relationship with God. As long as we are living on this planet, we will always be in process in God's mind. We don't reach a finish line until the Lord takes us or we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so it's why we, we felt like we needed to go back to class on Sunday morning from 10 to 1030. It's why the Calvary Church still has a midweek service, even though other people do not, and that's their prerogative. But for us, we feel like the Bible is very clear in its challenge to us and its um, instruction to us that we continue to grow and add on to the things that God has already done 
in our lives. Since I was a kid, I remember singing in this church that song, Everybody Ought to Go to Sunday School. And even though we don't sing that in the sanctuary, thank God, Andrew, right? We believe that it applies to us grown-ups. That it's not just our children that need the Word of God taught to them. But the shepherd speaks to his flock. He doesn't just speak to the sheep as individuals, although he certainly will if that's merited. But the shepherd's voice is known by his flock, and so there is power. There is great importance in us coming together to hear the word of God. And so here we see the Beatitudes like a ladder, and we used this illustration for you last week. That this is meant to be a progression. That's how Jesus taught it as a step-by-step journey and process of what it means to become like him, to be a disciple. Jesus was not just grouping us up into categories to say, congratulations, everyone on this side, you are meek. Well done. And you get to be merciful. That is your assignment. And you get to be pure in heart. Amen. No, Jesus is giving this assignment to each of us. All of us are called to be each and every one of these things, and that is a big deal. That's a lot of work for us to do. And so last week we began with that first beatitude. The New Living Translation puts it like this, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And so our journey towards being more like Jesus begins with us accepting and acknowledging the fact that we are in spiritual poverty without him. No matter how long we've known him, we still will always need him. On my best day, when I start January 1st, 2022 with all of the right motives, I added all of the TCC events to my personal calendar. I started, I chose and started my Bible reading plan. I checked all those boxes. I even have fasted already in the new year. I haven't yelled at my kids as much as I normally do. I've maybe even been nice to people that I'm not normally nice to because they're just, you know, drive me crazy. Even if I'm having a really, really good day like that, and I'm doing everything that I think I should do and I know to do, even on a day like that, I still am poor in spirit. And Jesus said, if you know that, and if you remember that, and you live your life with that knowledge, then you are blessed. And you are blessed, not just in the future, not just when you get to heaven, but your life is blessed because of that right now. Amen. And so it's important to keep in mind, as we're going to turn to the second and the third beatitude tonight, that the word blessed here that Jesus uses is not defined the way that we would like for it to be defined. It doesn't mean this this carnal, maybe materialistic blessing that you have a lot and you are happy, happy, happy all the time. But it is an abiding joy that that word blessed is implying. A joy that is not limited to your circumstance or how you feel on a particular day. 
And you and I could look at that in our, in our flesh and say, man, well, that's a bummer. Why can't it mean what I want it to mean? But the, the reality is that's really good news that the word blessed, what Jesus wants for us, is not limited to what we think it should be, which is that I just feel good all the time. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to offer you more than just temporary comfort and pleasantness in this life as you know it right now. But the joy that I'm offering to you is not predicated on all the things that are outside of your control. That whether you're doing your list or not, whether things are going well or not, Jesus said, what I am offering you, what I view as truly valuable and important for you, what makes you blessed is not predicated on circumstances that you cannot control as much as we would try. But Jesus said, your ability to be blessed is knowing that I am in control of everything. Amen. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to look at this second step on the ladder. And I want to say here too, just for your consideration, that in my study, some would argue that this second beatitude is actually part of the first one. That blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn. It's actually one beatitude. We're not going to debate that tonight, but I just want to present that to you for your consideration. But blessed are those who mourn, Matthew 5, 4 says, for they shall be comforted. The New Living Translation says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And so I think this is a perfect example of how we can misunderstand and misrepresent what the Bible is teaching us, what Jesus is telling us here, if we simply just read verses quickly and move on and assume that we understand them at, at face value. Because if you're like me, I, I've heard it taught many times, and I've applied it and explained it in my own life, that God is our comforter, that that's what Jesus is saying. But when you study this and you understand that Jesus is describing a step-by-step process in our lives towards becoming more like him you realize what Jesus is saying here is not that principle that we love that God is our comforter although he certainly is he comforts us when we're in mourning we know that to be true but that is not limited to the meaning that we often assign to this verse in the true context of Jesus's message We know that Jesus is actually continuing this thought that when you are poor in spirit, it brings a sense of mourning and sadness and sorrow into our lives that leads us to repent of the things that we realize make us impoverished spiritually. And so he builds off of this idea that where we start is being poor in spirit. And then the next part of this process that we're in is that we mourn, that we repent, that we seek forgiveness, that we reach for transformation in our lives because we understand that we need it. And so James uses this illustration of looking in the mirror. And and I don't know about you, but there are days when I avoid looking in the mirror. You ever, ladies ever have those days where you're just like, "Mm, no. I ain't doing it. And the older I get, the more I love the days where there's no pressure to do anything about it. And I'm feeling more liberty as I get older. Like, what? 
why? How did I spend an hour getting ready when I was 13 and 14 years old? I have no idea. I don't do that anymore. I've been delivered from that. Thank you, Jesus. But that's the beauty of a a pajama day, a snow day. There's no pressure to look in the mirror or to not. It's just, it doesn't matter. I'm not dealing with that today. But we can't do that in our walk with God. And yet James uses this analogy of looking in a mirror and compares it to what it's like to hear the word of God. James chapter 1 says, verse 22, but don't just listen to God's word. And I'm going to read it in the NLT for you. You must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and you don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. It's the same as avoiding a mirror or looking in the mirror and seeing that hair out of place, seeing that something on your face, and just leaving it there like, that's good. I'm just going to leave that right there. And James says, that's what it's like, guys. When we read the word of God, when we hear it taught and preached to us and we recognize this needs to change, this needs addressed, and then we walk away and we forget and we don't do anything with what the word of God has showed us. But that's what the word of God is meant to do in our lives. It is a mirror. It makes us look at ourselves as we really are. And that's why sometimes it's hard to read the Bible. And whether we recognize it or not, sometimes it's just our flesh. We don't want to read the word of God because we know we're going to be challenged. We're going to be made to be felt and poor in spirit because we realize I'm not measuring up. I'm not living up to what this word is telling me I need to. And so Jesus is telling us here, it's one thing to know about your sin. It's one thing to realize that you're poor in spirit, but it is another to mourn, to repent of that sin. That word mourn here means to lament, to wail, to grieve over something. And I realize this is very hard teaching. And I can see why it's more popular to apply apply this verse to say Jesus comforts you when you're sad. Because what he's really saying is a lot harder for us to say it's not enough for you to recognize what's wrong in your life. I want you to repent. I want it to grieve you to the point that you change. That you do something about what you recognize is inadequate in your spiritual life. Now we thank God for salvation. We realize that it's given to us freely. We believe what the Bible says, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Jesus gives us this gift and there's no take backs with him. Hallelujah. But what Jesus is letting us know in this teaching is that it takes work to remain free. It's not a one and done situation. Remember, this message that Jesus is preaching in Matthew 5 is not about salvation. It's about the work of his spirit and what it produces in our lives when we are walking in the spirit and letting him talk to us. And so first, Jesus says that his spirit will show us our depravity, that we're poor, 
that it doesn't matter if we grew up in church. We cannot even do the most basic of requirements, the most basic of Christian disciplines and expectations that the Bible gives us. We can't even do the minimum without Jesus helping us. All day, every day. And then secondly, his spirit convicts us to the point of sorrow. Now to be sure, I want to stop here and explain. This is not condemnation. Jesus is not pointing his finger in the faces of these people on the mountain. But what he's talking about is what the spirit does when it's working in our lives that pulls us closer to God. That pang in your heart that says something needs to change. And I need to be different to be like Jesus. And what Jesus is telling us is when we allow that to happen, we will be comforted for the sorrow that we feel for the sin in our lives. And what I want to bring to your attention tonight about this word comfort is not just that God encourages us and makes us feel better. But if you look up what that word means, it actually means to address something, to speak to something, to instruct, to admonish us. And so the realization of our need for God is not meant to push us away, but it is meant to help us reach for him because he is already reaching for us. And so when we recognize that we're poor in spirit, and then when we mourn and say, God, I'm sorry, help me change, we start working in cooperation with the work of the Spirit in our lives. Paul teaches the Corinthians about the work of repentance in a very clear way in chapter 7. And I want to read it to you quickly. I'm going to give you very brief context that apparently... The Corinthians had messed up, and Paul called them out on it. I don't know if you know this about the Apostle Paul, but he was a very passionate, a very direct person. I want to read these verses to you. Some of it's kind of funny, in my opinion. Verse 8, for even if I made you sorry, so Paul is saying, I wrote you a letter to tell you you did something wrong. Even if I made you sorry, I do not regret it, though I regret it, which is a fancy way of saying sorry, not sorry, you guys. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now listen to what he tells them. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, you weren't just poor in spirit, but that your sorrow led to repentance. You went from being poor in spirit to being someone who was mourning over their sin. Verse 10, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And so Paul gives us a clear picture of what it looks like to move from being poor in spirit to actually mourning for our sin. Because when we repent and we commit to change, then God can instruct us. He can comfort us with the help that he offers and help us move forward. And so now we're going to approach the second or third beatitude, however you want to define it, okay? Blessed are the meek, Matthew 5, 5 says, for they shall inherit the earth. I want to begin looking at this third beatitude with a pungent quote by our friend, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. 
You're not ready. Here we go. Everybody got your toes in? He's going to stomp all over our toes with this one, you guys. Now, no man ever becomes truly meek in the Christian sense of the word until he first knows himself and then begins to mourn and lament that he is so far short of what he ought to be. Self-righteousness is never meek. The man who is proud of himself will be quite sure to be hard-hearted in his dealings with others. Oh, my. And so we realize now that as we begin our understanding of our deficiency, that it moves us to sorrow. But now the placement of this third beatitude is very interesting because up to this point, we have seen ourselves in complete need, total desperation. And now in this third beatitude, we move beyond that need and something new is born in us, this idea of meekness. It's something that we didn't start out with, right? Because we were poor in spirit. But because we went from that to repentance, now we are experiencing the meekness that God wants for us. Because meekness is the proof. It is the evidence of the work of the Spirit in our lives. Paul lists it among the fruit of the Spirit. And fruit is evidence, right? Of what a tree really is. And so Jesus uses this word meekness that means mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, and by implication it means humble. And so the NLT puts it this way, God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. Now when I think of the word meekness, I think of two men that are closely associated with the Calvary Church. I think of the bishop, my granddad, Norman R. Pasley I. He was an amazing man. He was known by everyone, people not even connected to our church, who remember him. Remember him for his kindness and remember him for his smile. He had a gentleness of spirit that endeared him to people. And yet my grandmother was quick to call him a gentle giant, although he was not tall by any means. But for her, she defined that as that his character was so great that he was a giant in her eyes. And yet his humility was something that you felt from him in any environment that he was in, any conversation he had with anyone Granddad saw everyone and he loved everyone because he had this meekness that Jesus was talking about. And I honor his memory for that. And the second man you might have guessed that I associate with this word meekness is our own beloved Brother Huey Prophet. He is an icon of the Calvary Church and we owe him a debt we'll never be able to repay. Only Jesus knows what he has invested in this church since its very beginning. But what makes Brother Huey a meek man is not that he's just a servant of all, but it's the humility with which he carries himself, the gentleness with which he talks to us and deals with us and approaches any situation. I thank God for people like Brother Huey Prophet that embody these attributes that the Bible tells us God wants us to have in our lives. And if you're watching, Brother Huey, we love you and we miss you. And so with these people in mind, it's clear to us that meekness is not a virtue that is held in isolation. You cannot be meek and stay to yourself. 
I'm going to help you tonight if you have not realized that it is your relationships with other people that make you work out your salvation in a way that nothing else does. Relationships are like a spiritual gym where what you see in the Word, what you believe and know to be true, meets the reality of the fallen world that you live in. And some people are a good workout, spiritually speaking. They will try your faith. They will make you question your spirituality. Oh God, help us. But it's so challenging to understand that the meekness that the Spirit of God produces in us is not intended to make us self-righteous. But the evidence of the meekness and the gentleness and the humility that the Spirit of God is working into who we are is something that everyone around us should be able to experience and recognize. That that is the purpose of it. And so this right standing with God, the first two steps that lead us are not meant to be in a position of confidence or self-righteousness, but it's meant to do just the opposite, that with full knowledge of the deficiencies that we have, the weaknesses that we're struggling with in our lives, even after we sorrow and grieve over these things, they result in a gentleness in us that looks a lot like patience with people that maybe we didn't think deserved our patience. You see, the meek are not those who live with a sense of entitlement, that the world owes them something, that the church owes them something, the people of God owe them something. No, the meek are humble because they realize, I'm a part of a church full of sinners just like me. I live in a fallen world. Everybody's fighting a hard battle just like me. And so what Jesus is challenging us to do is to not just recognize our need for grace, but once we mourn and we receive that grace, we turn around and we share it with everyone around us because everyone needs grace. And so app time is about to be really interesting as we process these two Beatitudes. But I realized today for the first time that Jesus is really not the first person to make this statement and this promise about the meek. That David actually said in Psalms 37 verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And so this promise to the meek is not that they will be in some weakened state and life will pass them by and everybody will look down on them and be cruel to them because they're just so gentle. They're just, you know, big teddy bears and life beats them up and they get left behind. No, Jesus is saying, if you are meek, you inherit the earth. There is nothing you can't have. There is nothing you can't, con- you can't enjoy. Why? Because you have conquered the earth when you have conquered yourself. That's what Jesus is saying that meekness does for us. That humility, that acceptance and realization, not just of God's grace in my life, but the grace that everyone around me needs frees me to live a life that is peaceable, a life that is content, 
a life that is not driven by pride and my ego that I have to prove myself to everyone. I have to have everything better than everybody else. No, when we are meek because we recognize whatever we need, whatever we have comes from the blessing of God in our lives, then that gentleness is produced in us and helps us treat each other with humility and with the kindness that Jesus himself personified. Because Jesus identified himself as meek. Do you understand that when you are meek, it doesn't mean that you're weak? We don't look at the Lord Jesus Christ as a meek individual, as a, as a weak individual rather. He was the king of all, and yet that strength was restrained in such a way that he could help people, that he could love people, that he could do for them things that they could not do for themselves, that he was willing to give to them things they didn't realize that they deserved or even wanted. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, I am meek and lowly in heart. Jesus is saying, you can run around like a crazy person and exalt your, exhaust yourself, being driven by your own pride, your own ego, your own sense of proving yourself to everybody, or you could be like me and have a humility that realizes everything I need, God has. Everything I have comes from God, and with that realization in front of us in our lives, we can truly rest. We can be at peace, we can be blessed. No matter what's going on in our lives. And so, to be meek tonight is not to be weak. It doesn't mean that we're passive or that we don't care. But to be meek, my friends, is to be like Jesus. Is to become more like him. And so tonight, I'm going to give you a couple of more minutes to um, work on app time together. Because we have two Beatitudes that we want to discuss. And so what I want you to answer uh, with someone around you is, which do you find more challenging? The second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, so this idea of, of true repentance. Or the third beatitude of, of meekness. Which one do you find uh, personally more challenging? And if you're really brave, tell them why. Tell them why you feel that way. All right, so we're going to consider that together quickly, and then we will conclude our time together. Here we go. Let us stand together. And I know that 
this is just, there's just no other word for it. It's just challenging. It's challenging, I think, too, to just have this perspective of all the things that lead up to being merciful, being peacemakers, you know, those, those end goals, if you will, those, the end of the Beatitudes. We, we have this starting gate of being poor and then mourning and then becoming meek. And I, I want to acknowledge to you, though, <clears throat> that broader application that is certainly uh, probably more popular on blessed on those blessed are those who mourn. Just want to speak to it personally um, that I have applied that in my own life and found benefit from it. One of the greatest revelations that that I have had in the last few years is that in order to receive the comfort of the Lord, you have to mourn. It's kind of a requirement. You can't be comforted if you don't acknowledge that you're sad. And sure, there's a time and place to do that. There's wisdom and not losing it at any given point, you know. But what I want to acknowledge tonight is that this idea of mourning is not limited to a death or a separation from someone that you love. We can mourn just about anything that we lose. It could be the loss of a job. It could be the loss of a friendship. Maybe someone moves. Maybe there's just something very fundamental to your life and, and it's taken away or it changes and, and you're adjusting and you're saddened by those adjustments. You're mourning. And so I don't want you to feel like God's comfort is limited to grief as we would commonly define it. But anytime we are brokenhearted, David said, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And so I hope you know that even though we haven't applied it in that uh, traditional way tonight, God is certainly a comforter to us. And so whatever it is that maybe you are mourning for right now, you're grieving, you're hurting about something, Jesus cares about what you're feeling and what you're experiencing And I am a witness that you can apply that verse in another way to say, blessed are those who mourn, who allow themselves to be sad, who allow themselves to be vulnerable in the presence of God and say, God, I'm upset. I'm broken. I'm hurting. I'm confused. God, I'm mad at you for letting this happen. That God is not intimidated by those things. God is not disappointed by how we feel. He already knows. But there's an incredible intimacy in the presence of God when we fully acknowledge where we're at with things in the privacy of our prayer closet. Because it is then that we can be comforted. That when we can acknowledge that kind of weakness, let the weak say, I am strong. Why? Because God is our comforter. Because we've invited him in. And so I just want to encourage you. I know that, you know, it's another year and things are still weird and no end in sight. But again, I, I think about Psalms 23 in that incredible picture that David paints of what a shepherd does. You think about the variety of experiences that David walks us through in Psalms 23. You know, still waters, green pastures, through the valley, things change. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, but the point is the Lord is my shepherd through all of it. 
And so whatever I need, whatever my need is as his sheep, maybe I need to calm down. I need to rest by still waters. Maybe my soul needs fed. I'm, I'm impoverished. I'm hungry spiritually. Then God leads me to green pastures. And even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, maybe it is a loved one or maybe it's just a dream that's just never going to happen. A goal that I had for my family, a relationship. I've done everything I do to reconcile and it's just never going to be the same again. Though I walk through that valley, the shepherd's going to be with me. And it is his desire to walk us through it because he is the one that comforts us. And so tonight, I want to make application in that way to you. That if there is something in your life that you need God's comfort, I want us to apply that verse in this way right now. To say, God, you know what is hurting me right now? What's burdening me? What's making me sad? And maybe I haven't said it to anyone else. No one will ever know, God, how I feel about this situation. You do. And because I'm willing to acknowledge that to you, that I'm poor in spirit, God, I'm nothing without you, that I invite God to work in my life. Because what Jesus is showing us here so far in these three steps on the ladder of the Beatitudes is that in our poverty, in our brokenness, in our mourning, he is working in our lives. And that's how we become gentle. That's how we become humble. That's how we become meek like him through these difficult times in our lives that we let the spirit of God lead us through. And so whatever your situation is, I just wish you would agree with me in prayer that God, I want you to work that way in our lives tonight. Lord, we come before you and we're just sheep. Lord, we're hurting We're not able, God, to care for our own hurting hearts. And so, God, maybe there are things in our lives that we've tried to minimize because maybe we feel like we shouldn't be upset, we shouldn't mourn, we shouldn't grieve, or maybe we should be over it, and we're just not. God, I believe that your word says that you are near to the brokenhearted. I believe that you're here to comfort us. That, Lord, whatever is going on in our lives, whatever is bringing us pain, whatever represents brokenness in us, God, you are at work. You're producing that humility, that gentleness of spirit, God, that is supposed to be evident to others. That the grace that we know we need, the grace that we ask for and we receive, that, Lord, even in these situations, you would allow us to extend that grace to other people because we want to be like you. We want to please you in every area of our lives. And so it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and we ask you to bring us back should you tarry on Sunday. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.